Hey guys, good to see you today. So glad that you're tuning in. We're beginning a brand new conversation today. And if you have a Bible, I'd love for you to go to Philippians chapter four. For the next five weeks, we're gonna be hanging out in these verses. Today's introduction to that conversation. So we get done today and you're like, wow, feels like an introduction because it is. But Philippians four, verses four through nine is we're gonna be the next five weeks. Love for you to grab your Bible, open that up, notepad uh, in your lap, and let's read that together. Philippians chapter four, here's what it says. Paul is the one writing this and he says this, rejoice in the Lord always. I'm gonna say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. Why? The Lord is near. Don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. He says, verse eight, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice. And the God of peace will be with you. Would you guys pray with me before we jump into this conversation? Father, we have expressed to you that we love you and that we trust you through our worship. And now we pray that you will help us to hear from you through your word and to love you and to trust you enough to respond to it for the glory of your son, Jesus, to the building up of your body, the church, and for the good of the gospel in our world. We pray this in Jesus' precious name and for his sake, amen. Hey, if I've never met you, my name's Dan, one of the pastors here. And uh, if you don't have a church home, we'd love for you to come hang out with us. We have four services. Uh, we're beginning a brand new series this weekend, and I want to begin it with you here online. And the series is all about calm and the chaos. And Paul says this, is don't be anxious about anything. He says, whatever you do, don't worry about nothing, <laughs> right? Just go do that. End of sermon. Let's pray, right? I mean, if it was just that easy... Because when Paul says this, we gotta recognize some things. And the first thing we gotta recognize, you already know this, I don't need to make a case for it. We live in a world that seems anxious about everything. You agree with that? <laughs> like there's a lot of anxiety in our world. Uh, some uh, psychologists have called it the epidemic of our time, worry and anxiety. Uh, worldwide, studies have shown there's an increase in people being stressed out, worried and full of anxiety. The Gallup poll says this, that 35%, plus or minus, one or two, uh, of the world's population is stressed out with anxiety. You know what's interesting about that? This is interesting to me anyways, that the United States, one of the richest countries in the world, is right at the top, hovering right around 55% of the people in our country saying they're stressed out, they're worried and they struggle with anxiety. Max Lucado in one of his books says this, the land of the stars and stripes has become the country of the stress and strife. That's interesting to me. Uh, not only that, but, but anxiety in our battle with anxiety is costly. It costs us about $300 billion a year, medical costs, lost time, other anxiety-related expenses. $300 billion a year. 
Another thing I found interesting when it comes to anxiety in our world is this, is that every study that I read says that anxiety among young people, teenagers and college students in particular, is on the rise. All of that makes a rather dated study that I found, it's dated 2008, even more sobering to me because all the studies say it's on the rise. And in 2008, Psychology Today said this, and I quote, the average high school kid today has the same level of anxiety as the average psych patient in the 1950s. What? I mean, that's just crazy. And anxiety shows up in all kinds of different ways, right? Uh, anxiety will show up in, as depression. Uh, people's anxiety can actually depress their motivation and will to accomplish normal daily activities. They get paralyzed by an overwhelming sense of dread and gloom and awfulness. Now, for others, it shows up in a polarizing anger. The feeling of being out of control can create this insecurity that causes people to oversteer into angry episodes where they try to control everything because things feel out of control to me. And so we live in a country where people are struggling with depression and we live in a country, I don't need to make this case, amen, where there is anger and angst everywhere and it leads to this perpetual worry where we worry about everything one author said this, I thought it was interesting, worry never robs tomorrow of its sorrow, it only saps today of its joy. You gotta write that down. That worry never robs tomorrow of its sorrow, it only saps today of its joy. Uh, worry can exaggerate my problems. I heard this one time that, that worry's like fog. Uh, fog that can cover seven city blocks when it's condensed down actually equals one cup of water. I thought it's interesting, right? Uh, there's a Swedish proverb that says this, worry often gives small things a big shadow. That's what worry does. And then I would say this, and many of you know this, that worry can show up in physical problems. According to Harvard Health, anxiety has now been implicated in several chronic physical illnesses, including heart disease, including, including gastrointestinal disorders, uh, respiratory disorders, uh, chronic arthritic disorders, physical problems. Uh, here's the point. Uh, Paul says, don't be anxious about anything, and yet we live in a world where we seem to be anxious about everything. And, and if I'm honest, and we might as well be, can we be honest today just for the next few minutes we're together? I can be anxious about a lot of things. My guess is so can you. Like I'm not alone. And if we're honest, when we take inventory, there's probably a lot of things that create anxiety inside of us. Uh, Pastor J.D. Greer did a quick blog survey a few years back where he asked people to respond about the things they were anxious about. The responses he received then, I think it was 2018, was this, number one was being alone. Some of you feel that, like you're anxious about being alone. Number two had to do with money, not having enough to retire on to take care of my aging parents, right? To send my kids to college. Number three was being accepted by others. Some of you feel that. Number four was going to the doctor. Not sure the report I'm gonna get. Some of you have a doctor's appointment coming up and that's all you can think about. It's like, what are they gonna say? Uh, number five was losing control. 
Like some of you are anxious about that. What happens if I lose control, if I can't do this anymore? Uh, Number six, finding the right spouse. Some of you are single and you're very anxious about trying to find the right spouse. And the fact of the matter is, if we're honest, you and I can be anxious about a lot of things. The American Psychological Association says this, that anxiety is an emotion characterized by feelings of tension, worried thoughts, and physical changes, kind of like increased blood pressure, is what they said. Uh, What I find interesting is this, sometimes when we think of anxiety, we think of anxiety and fear. I'm anxious and fearful, and that's probably appropriate because they're related, but they're not twins. They're, They're more like cousins, Uh, Let me tell you what I mean, and and I read this in several places. Fear uh, is this sense of threat, whereas anxiety imagines one, an imagined threat. Uh, so, So what fear does is when it sees a threat, it either says get out or it says fight, flight or fight, right? Whereas anxiety, on the other hand, it says what if, this happens. Uh, There's really probably many sources to the anxiety in our lives, three in particular that come to my mind is this. Uh, One source of anxiety that we all have is the conversations that I have with me. I I don't know if you think, some of us, I would say most of us, maybe all of us, but yeah, all of us, at some point in time we talk to ourselves. We have this ongoing conversation with ourselves. You do and I do. Uh, the, the problem is some of us talk to ourselves and then we answer ourselves, right? Yeah, but we have this conversation with ourselves, right? It's like this tape that keeps playing in my head and the tape is not always good. And what it can be is this self-fulfilling prophecy constantly going off in my head. Uh, for some of us, that tape kind of goes like this. It's full of anxiety because it starts with what if. What if I don't amount to much, just like my parents said? What if I'm not good enough, just like the coach told me? Uh, What if I'm not smart enough, like my teacher used to hint? Uh, what What if nobody can ever love me, just like my ex threatened? Or how about this, what if I can't ever forgive myself for the things I've done in the past? You see, the, the, the conversations I have with me can create a lot of anxiety. Or, or how about the circumstances that might happen to me? For a lot of us, it's the circumstances that we do not control that create the anxiety in us that ends up controlling us. I'm going to say that again. For a lot of us, it's the circumstances in our life that we cannot control that create an anxiety within us that ends up controlling us. It's kind of like this, what if uh, the college that I applied to doesn't accept me? Or what if the one day this year that we pick to have our wedding, it decides to monsoon? (laughs) Uh, What if the doctor says it's terminal? Or or what if I can't retire when I want to? Or what if the, the, the stock market crashes? Or, or, or what if the guy I voted for doesn't win? Or how about this? What if Ohio State doesn't beat Michigan this year? Right? You know, you get the point. Like sometimes our anxiety over circumstances we have no control over can create this anxiety that totally controls us. 
paralyzes us, makes us tense, makes us angry. And, and then I would say this, that not only is the conversations I have with me, the circumstances that might happen to me, but it's the people who are around me. And I don't look at them sitting beside you, right? But they can create anxiety. People can create anxiety, right? They disappoint, uh, they betray. Uh, people create anxiety. What if they don't keep their word? What if they don't work out like I thought? What if and all of a sudden we have anxiety? It's into this world where people seem to be anxious about everything. And it's into my world where I can be anxious about a lot of things where Paul has the audacity to say this. Don't be, say it with me out loud. Don't be what? Don't be anxious about anything. Paul's not, now, now before you misread this, Paul was the guy writing this and you might be like, what is he smoking, right? Like, where is he? Like, some of you might be thinking, is he writing that from some cushy hotel room look overlooking the Mediterranean Sea? I mean, is, is Paul writing this from his penthouse in Rome? No. Uh, Paul is writing this from a prison cell. Uh, he's writing this and the book is Philippians because Philippi was one of the first churches Paul started. And Paul was warned at a particular time in his ministry not to go back to Jerusalem because they were going to imprison him because they thought he was trying to pollute their Jewish religion. And so the mob attacks him, drags him out of the temple, and they arrest Paul. Paul is in jail. And Paul mentions then in jail to one of his captors that he's not Jewish. Not only is he Jewish, but that he's a Roman so they sent him to Rome and he hops on a ship and the ship was shipwrecked for two weeks and then they get washed ashore for three months. Finally, he gets to Rome and over two years, he waits for this trial to come about while in prison, he writes letters to these churches that he planted. Paul is literally, as he writes this, awaiting trial that eventually, ultimately is gonna end in his death Paul's not the guy you want in your anxiety support group. <laughs> and it's from this prison cell, Paul wants to declare war on worry. And that's what we want to do in this conversation. It's in this prison cell, in that circumstance, that Paul wants to reframe our concerns so that you and I can walk into even chaos with a calm that is a supernatural calm. Don't you want that? Don't you think this might be a series for you? I know it was for me. If you and I are gonna declare war on anxiety and worry, we need to expose anxiety for what it is. The first thing I want you to, to write down somewhere is anxiety will lie to you. Here's what anxiety does. It promises you that, that if you devote more time to it, it, things will change and they won't. Nothing changes because you've worried about it. Nothing changes because you got anxious and upset about it. Uh, Jesus said this, Matthew 6, 27. He says, can any of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? Like worry doesn't change a thing. Anxiety doesn't change a thing. But I would say this, anxiety steals from me. It steals from me. Uh, I was reading this, uh, or actually I heard another pastor relaying this story about a woman who was anxious all the time. She struggled with anxiety for years, and the thing she was anxious about was that a 
burglar would break into their house and steal and years and decades would go by and she would sleepless nights and she would fret and she would worry and she would have panic and she talked to her husband about it and she would right nothing happened but years just wrestled with this anxiety till one night after years of struggling uh, her and her husband are laying in bed and she hears a noise and, and she wakes her husband up and he hears the noise too. And so he goes downstairs and, and lo and behold, guess what? <laughs> guess what? <laughs> there was a burglar. And the husband, when he saw the burglar, he said to the burglar, he said, hey, excuse me. <laughs> he said, but would you mind coming up and meeting my wife? She's been waiting years and years and years to meet you. <laughs> I think the point is this, is that it steals time. Do you ever wonder how much time you would have if you could recover all the time that you spent worrying about things? She spent decades worrying about something. She lost time worrying about something. But I think this, anxiety is at the root to a lot of other sin. If you could think of a tree and at the end of that tree, the fruit being the sin in my life, there's a lot of sin that if you trace it back to its root, it could be traced to worry. I love this John Piper quote. It's rather lengthy, so you might want to freeze frame this or pause and then write this down, take a picture of it. But he says, think about how many other sins are connected to the root sin of anxiety. Anxiety about money might cause you to hoard or steal. Anxiety about succeeding will make you irritable and impatient with those around you. Anxiety about relationships might make you withdrawn or indifferent toward other people. Anxiety about what others think about you, it will make you lie or stress the truth. Man, I've, I actually was better than, right? If anxiety could be conquered, a mortal blow would be struck to many other sins. So, how do you and I reframe this? How do you and I wage war on worry? Well, here's where we need to begin today. Remember, this is simply an introduction, but, 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 but I had to have this talk in order for us to have the remainder of the series because we have to start here. And I want you to write this down. We're going to unpack it. So take a time and write this down. Misplacing the source of my peace will lead to expectations that become premeditated anxieties. Uh, expectations can be premeditated anxiety, disappointment. C.S. Lewis is the one who first kind of came up with this. He states that expectations govern our responses. Um, he used an illustration, C.S. Lewis did, and he said this, if you were shown a hotel room and you were told before they opened the door that it is a honeymoon suite, your expectation is going to be one thing. And if they open the door and there's no plush carpet, no spa, no champagne, you're going to be disappointed because you were expecting a honeymoon suite. But on the other hand, if before they open the door, they say, this is a jail cell, well, then your expectation is set and you'll be delighted to find even the most modest comforts, he said. Expectations govern your response. Disappointment versus delight over the same room. Very different expectations. The same is true when it comes to your peace. Let me show you what I mean by that. This picture, you can freeze frame it, but it shows something. When I expect 
that the source of my peace is gonna be the circumstances that happen to me and the people around me, I'm going to be wrecked with anxiety. This is a prescription for premeditated anxiety. Why? Because you and I don't control most of the circumstances that happen to us. We control some, and we need to control what we control, but, but there are a lot of circumstances we don't control. And you don't have to live very long to realize that people do and will disappoint. And so what happens when that is where my peace comes from, instead of peace, it leads to anxiety. And here's what happens. When these things don't deliver, like I'm not at peace, so I'm at I'm in conflict with people. I'm wrecked with anxiety because this may happen and this may happen and this may happen. What happens when those things don't deliver the peace I long for, I found over years of being a pastor that it affects people's relationship with God. In our anxiety, here's what happens. And maybe this is what happens to you. We stop reading our Bible. We stop praying. We stop, we stop going to church. Some of you have stopped going to church. You know why? Because you just wreck. You're wrecked. There's no peace. You stop worshiping with other believers. Why? There's no peace. Stop serving. You stop, uh, stop gathering with a group of people, whether a small group or a discipleship group or a Bible study that you can have some accountability and fellowship with. Why? Because something got broke because your relationship with God was dependent on you being at peace and these things that you were trusting to be the source of your peace aren't bringing peace. Well, what's the solution? What's the answer? Well, Paul says, and we're going to get there, he says it is the peace of God. Don't you want that? It's a peace of God, he says in Philippians 4, that passes understanding. I want that. But before we can have the peace of God that passes understanding, we gotta know something very important. We gotta begin somewhere else. We gotta understand something that before a person, before you or I ever become a Christian, we have to understand that we have one main enemy in our life. Did you know that? Here's what... Romans chapter five says, for if while we were, say that out loud, while we were what? God's enemies. That we are at enmity and conflict with the God who's trying to save us. I heard this illustration, I, I thought it's fitting, of people <clears throat> who were called to a rushing river to rescue a dog who had gotten stranded on a rock in the middle of the river. And as they were trying to rescue the dog, those who came to rescue the dog were making their approach, and the dog, in fear, began fighting with the ones who were rescuing, began scratching and biting. And they fought through that dog fighting with them in order to rescue. Here's the picture in the Bible that the God who's trying to save us is trying to save those who are fighting with him, who are scratching at him. Before I ever give my life to Jesus, I'm at war with God. I'm in conflict with God. I'm in enmity with God. I love the rest of the verse because it says this, while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him. How? Through the death of his son. 
how much more, that means that no, no longer enemies, but now friends, relationship, shall we be saved through his life? Like, like, like God sent Jesus to die so that we could be reconciled, enemies reconciled, which is what leads Paul to say, since we've been justified through faith, when that happens, we have, say it with me, we have what, say it, peace with God. How? Because I made my peace with God. You can't make your peace with God. I say that all the time. You cannot make your peace with God. God made peace with you possible, come on, through our Lord Jesus Christ. The picture is this, is that God took the initiative to make peace available to us with him. And the peace that I can have with God comes through Jesus. Now you ought to take a snapshot of that picture. I'm gonna throw it back up in a second. But here's the statement. Only when I have peace with God can I experience the peace of God. This thing Paul's talking about Philippians 4 that we're gonna spend the, 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 the next four weeks on after this, I can only have when I receive the gift of peace with God that comes in Christ, have you? Have you ever said yes to Jesus and what he did for you on the cross? They buried him, he rose again. The only way for you to be forgiven of your sins, part of the family of God, to have peace with God, isn't to make your peace with God, isn't to become more moral, to go to church more, but it's to accept the free gift of salvation found in Jesus Christ crucified for you for your sin. Have you receive the gift of peace with God because only then can I experience the peace of God. It is peace with God that paves the way to experience the peace of God. So what happens is when I have the peace with God, then the God of peace, right, resides with me. Spirit of God resides inside. When I have peace with God, I have this perpetual presence of God, the God of peace. And you know what happens? Now I can walk in to circumstances, whether calm or chaotic, with the peace of God, because the God of peace is walking in to those circumstances that I can't control, and I can experience peace. Uh, when I have peace with God, now I have the God of peace, so I can experience the peace of God, the God who's with me. It guards my heart. We're going to talk about that the four weeks to come. And so when that happens, I can be, I can be in relationships with Jesus said his followers should be, and that is this. I can be a peacemaker, not a peace wrecker. That I literally can extend the same grace the God I was fighting with extended to me when he made peace with me possible. Because I've experienced that, I can extend that. But there's something else. Let's go back to that big statement. I can experience the peace of God and expect the enemies of God to wage war on my peace. That's what you don't hear as much. That the minute I experience this peace with God and now the peace of God, I can expect the enemies of God will do everything in their, in their arsenal to steal and hijack my peace. Uh, by the way, do you know what the enemies of God are? Some of you said Satan, right? And that'd be right. There's three. 
There's books written on this by people way smarter than I'll ever think of being. Uh, and so I've pulled together some different things, listened to some sermons, read some things. But, but here they are, right? You gotta write them down. The world, the flesh, and the devil. Three enemies of God. Uh, the world, uh, you ought to write this down, the Father, God the Father, opposes the world. First John chapter 2 says this, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. Like, they're, you, you can't, they're not together. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world, so he's talking about a world system, a philosophy of life, and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. I, I heard one author put it this way, the world is, you ought to write this down, nowism. It's the philosophy of this world or secularism that says the here and now is all that matters. Live it up. Uh, the problem is this, that, that you, there are lots of Christians who become worldly Christians. What I mean by that is like when I was growing up, that, here's what that would have meant. My grandma would have said, don't become worldly. What she meant by that is, uh, don't adopt the priorities, the principles, and the passions of this world. You know, eat, drink, for tomorrow we die. Uh, feels good, do it. And, and that certainly is true, that, that's, that's worldliness. But, but can I suggest there just, there's this other brand of worldly Christians that, that is kind of evolving, maybe showing up, that is just equally as sad to me? It's not just the party hard philosophy, but there are Christians who I would call the doomsday preppers kind of Christians, people that are coming apart at the seams when things don't go well in this world. So, so, so we're going to start storing away food and we're going to start uh, stocking away ammunition because when the world comes to an end, we want to be the last one standing. And I'm thinking to myself, when I read the Bible, it's like, this isn't our home. And, and that is a form of worldly Christian, this world Christian. <laughs> uh, there's another... Uh, enemy and that's the flesh and the spirit i mean the father as well but but th this passage says the spirit opposes the flesh here's what it says galatians 5 it says so i say walk by the spirit so this is the fruit of the spirit passage and you'll not gratify the desires of the flesh for the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh like they're in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want but if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Here's what the flesh is. The flesh is that part of me that wants to be God. That part of me that wants to call the shots to be in control. Um, I heard this illustration. This was actually, I think, an illustration given by Pastor Tim Keller in a, a sermon he did eons ago. But he talked about uh, uh, the, that this desire of the flesh to be in control. Before uh, this young man became a Christian, uh, he had this desire to be in control. And the way it exhibited itself was he would seduce women. And then he would sleep with women. And there was this like power hungriness part of him that felt like I, he was in control. He had power. He came to Christ he, he, he gave his life to Christ and, and 
didn't take long for him to find out like that is not at all okay or right. That's not all godly. So he repented and turned from that. But what was interesting is that as he got involved in the church, every Bible study he went to, he wanted to be in charge of. He wanted to be an officer in the church so that he could call all the shots. What happened? What happened was this, this this flesh became religious. It just showed up differently and it battles. This need to be in control. Each of us has this, right? So there's this worldly philosophy that says, now is all that matters, live it up. And there's this flesh that we battle inside that wants to be in control, that wants to be like, that just thinks about me and I want to be the God of my world. And and then the, the obvious one that gets most of the press is the devil. The son opposes the devil. Luke 4, you can see him literally doing that. First uh, John 3, it says this, the one who does what is sinful is of the devil because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason that Jesus, the son of God, appeared was to destroy the devil's work. That's interesting. Now, now, some of you might be watching this and be like, man, he is really naive. He still he believes in the big bad devil, right? Well, what's interesting is the, that if you don't believe in the devil, Satan, uh, you're actually the one in the minority. That's just interesting to me. Um, there's been some interesting studies done on this. George Barna did a survey in 2020. More Americans, this is actually heartbreaking to me, but more Americans believe in Satan than believe in God. So even those of you who might be watching this and and you don't even know that you believe in God, chances are you might believe there's a Satan, there's a devil. But, But the Bible is clear that the devil is real and the sun opposes the devil. And the devil, Satan's job is to destroy your peace and your joy. And you know how he does that? He's an accuser. He's a liar. He's a thief. And he's bent on your destruction. And the Bible makes it clear that Satan has this vast army of demonic forces that are bent on destroying you, that are bent on hijacking your peace, that are bent on sabotaging your joy. And here's what Christians and churches and pastors have made the mistake of focusing on just one of these at the expense of the other two when it comes to our problems. So when we have problems, well, you're being worldly. Or we have problems like, I'm just battling my flesh. Or we have problems like, we gotta pray the devil out of that dude, you know? But I want you to know they all work as a triad in tandem together to attack your peace and your joy. And why would you not expect when you have peace with God, experience the peace of God, that the enemies of God would not also want to attack the peace of God that you're experiencing. They do it all kinds of ways. They'll attack your past. They'll want to constantly remind you of your past. They'll want you to pick up the baggage of your past decisions so that you carry around with you your regret and your guilt. They want you to become anxious about the shadow of your shame and they want it to follow you. The enemies of God want you to look at your sins and not your savior. Uh, They want you to focus on your present. They'll want you to constantly get your focus on your circumstances. To think when things are good, then you're good. But when things are bad, there's something wrong. 
that, that, that it throws you into a discontentment and throws you out of the box of peace and into a prison of anxiety. Uh, they want you to look at the storm and not the God who's with you in the storm. Or, or they'll want you to look at the future and they want you to become insecure about what could be, what might be, to fear what's coming, to fear the unknown. They want you to look at the future that you're not in control of and forget to look at the one who holds the future. You see, that's the way they work. And they want to rob you of your anxiety, of your peace, and they want to replace it with anxiety. I'll be honest with you, that's why we're doing this series, because a lot of you are anxious. I wouldn't say anxiety is something that uh, I would have said was a huge part of my life until this year. Uh, some of you know, some of you don't, but uh, at Christmas time, I, I got COVID, and I know a lot of you did as well. Um, I, when I got COVID, it, it got me good. It got me good. And um, I have done a quite a few funerals of people who passed away from COVID and uh, my symptoms were, uh, were, were pretty gnarly. And one of the symptoms that I didn't expect was it opened a, a door of anxiety in me that I had never experienced before. I, I kind of made it through that and this year has just been full of transition and change for me personally in all kinds of ways. And, and, and all of that led to my latest journey that I kind of hinted to last week that right before vacation, uh, I had this episode. And I was in immense pain and I'm still kind of on a journey trying to find answers. And it reopened that door of anxiety. Like this almost inexplicable anxiety that was so frustrated with my present situation began comparing, I shared that with you last week, and then I got anxious about the future. What if I can't, and what if this isn't, what if? And this anxiety, and some of you know exactly what I'm talking about, almost overtakes you. And I remember one morning, I just remember thinking, God, I gotta, I, like, I gotta get my head right. And I began thinking about places to read in the Word, and books to read, and there are certain books that I love to read, and I looked over on the shelf beside the rocking chair that I was sitting in, and there was one book. <laughs> and the one book that was there was by a guy that I had read years ago. I haven't read much of him recently, but years ago, Max Lucado, called Anxious for Nothing. And I thought, well, that's an interesting book for a guy who's anxious right now about a lot of things to pick up. And it's in that book, and it's kind of the inspiration for the series where he begins to outline this passage that we're looking at in Philippians chapter 4, where he says, Be anxious about, don't be anxious about anything. But there's way more to the passage than that, which we're going to spend the rest of our time unwrapping. And in this particular book, and it's going to be where we go with the series. He says, here's how you have calm in an anxious world. And it's literally right out of this passage that he spells out the acronym CALM. And in these few verses, which I would encourage you to memorize, to put somewhere where you can see, we're going to see that 
The secret to calm for those who have peace with God and experience the peace of God is to celebrate the God who is present, who is always present, to ask that God for help, and then to leave it with him. Leave our concerns with him. Don't take them back. And then to meditate on good things. You see, anxiety is a real deal. Some of you are wrecked with it right now. One of the things he said in his book is this, is that anxiety is inevitable. It's eventually going to hit you. But the prison, the prison of anxiety is optional. We want to wage war on worry, and we want to walk out of the prison of anxiety. Can I ask you this? Have you ever said yes to Jesus? Have you experienced peace with God? Because he made peace possible. You can stop clawing and fighting, and you can be friends and reconcile by accepting Jesus as your Savior and as your Lord. And it's only then that the God of peace is present, always present. The Spirit of God resides within, and you can experience the peace of God. That even walking into stormy situations, even walking into turbulent relationships, you can walk with the peace of God that passes all understanding, and it is what will guard your hearts. I hope you'll tune in the next several weeks as we take this journey together. God help us and teach us. I'm so grateful that you love us. And I pray that you'd help us to walk out of the prison of anxiety. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.